Hey everybody, it's David Pluff. Welcome to Campaign HQ on October 10th. We're getting deeper and deeper into the primary campaign. We're starting to have leaves turn, at least in, uh, in New Hampshire. A few things I think top of mind. First of all, we've got a debate next week. So we'll have 12 people on stage, big group of people. So it's going to be, I think, uh, fascinating to see who can make the most of their limited time and, and you know, really who's got a strategy either to separate themselves from the entire field or to draw a contrast with one of their main competitors within the field. And, you know, I think it's likely some of the folks on the outer edges of the race now, you know, may try and throw some some long balls uh, to try and get some some attention. I think it'll be also interesting. Joe Biden has certainly been a focal point for other candidates in these debates, as Elizabeth Warren has has really risen so strongly in, in the last few weeks. Uh, does she take a little bit more incoming fire? So uh, I think we should be watching that carefully. Uh, secondly, we are all thrilled that you know, Bernie Sanders has has left the hospital and is going to get back on the campaign trail. But most importantly, we just hope he continues to regain his health and uh, his strength. But, uh, you know, how much he's out on the trail and when that intensifies and, and does it affect the race? Again, I think that's secondary to his health, but we're going to have to watch that. I think uh, we've seen Vice President Biden become much more aggressive in the last few days uh, vis-a-vis Donald Trump uh, in Ukraine. I think trying to elevate himself as the candidate Trump's most worried about and is the strongest general election candidate from his view. Be interesting to see if that continues on the debate stage next week, uh, more advertising, social media. Uh, he's been doing some speeches. So I think that's going to be really interesting uh, to watch. And then, you know, Elizabeth Warren does continue to, to gain strength, both in the early states uh, and nationally. Uh, the debate next week will be, I think, one moment to see if, if her now becoming the co-front runner. You could even argue that she's the front runner now. Uh, if that dynamic changes, if she takes more incoming uh, from her competitors, she's certainly going to take more incoming from the press and more examination there. So I think, you know, it's always good to get momentum in politics. You'd rather have it than not. But uh, the downside is that the withering scrutiny and spotlight gets pretty intense. And, and so we'll see how she and her campaign uh, manage that. Our guest today is Mike Schmuel, campaign manager for Mayor Pete Buttigieg of South Bend. What's clear is while we've had a top three for a while, uh, Biden, Warren, and Sanders, at least in the early states, you're beginning to see some polling that suggests Mayor Pete has separated from the rest of the field to be in fourth place, uh, knocking on third place. And so I really want to dig in with Mike about the operation that they've built in the early states, if they have the ability to go the distance, how they see the calendar, are there particular parts of the calendar as we get into March in particular that may benefit him, where their support going to come from, because even though he's he's grown his support in Iowa, New Hampshire, he's got a long way to go. And is that going to come more from new supporters, undecided supporters, or, or does Mayor Pete need to support, uh, particularly for someone like Joe Biden, uh, to begin to weaken so he can pick up more of those supporters? So, you know, history suggests in the Democratic Party um, that there is going to be a lane and an opening when the race gets really serious as we get into the new year for a fresh face. The three candidates in the lead right now are all in their 70s. Um, have been on the scene for a while. So uh, whether it's Mayor Pete or somebody else, I think it's it's fair to assume that there's going to be somebody, at least one candidate, who, who may have an ability uh, to get into the semifinals or finals here as we get deeper in the calendar. So you're going to hear directly from Mayor Pete's campaign manager, Mike Schmuel, about their plan to win the nomination and the presidency. Mike Schmuel, campaign manager for Mayor Pete, legend from South Bend. Actually recording from Notre Dame Stadium, is that correct? That's right. Well, thanks for being with us today. So I'm going to jump right into the race. So Mayor Pete's not in the Senate. A lot of your opponents are. So if this ends up going to a trial, they're going to end up finding themselves in Washington, not Iowa, and presumably commenting on this day to day. But has the current impeachment saga we're going under at all changed the campaign for you guys? It hasn't really, David. I think that you know, and we're on the trail and Mayor Pete's in states like Iowa and New Hampshire, it's starting to come up a little bit more than, say, for example, the Russia uh, stuff that we've all been through. But it's still not the topic that comes um, to people's lips when they're asking Pete a question. I think that that still is bread and butter issues, economic issues, health care, uh, and things like that. 
I think what remains to be seen is how much impeachment impacts uh, the 2020 race and our field. You know, does it kind of shock the system? Does it gel things? Uh, does it keep things static? Uh, and are people able to, to either wiggle up or, or wiggle down over the next few weeks and months? Our approach has been to just run our own race. Um, you know, we've come a long way since January, and we feel really, really good about where we are. One thing that I think is interesting to note is we, we don't want to politicize impeachment. It's not really our business. As you said, it's, it's the business of the Senate and the business of the Congress. And so we aren't uh, trying to raise money off of it. Uh, we aren't trying to make it uh, one of the major topics that we talk about. We'll respond to it, and the mayor will respond to it if he's asked. But for the most part, we're running our own race. Mm -hmm. So question, you mentioned uh, you guys got going in January. Yep. It wasn't too long after that that you caught fire. And I'd be curious as the campaign manager, just, you know, you had momentum come to you and, and you really can't plan for when that happens. It's better to have it happen than not. But I assume that that was a challenge for you guys just because you had this moment where from a fundraising standpoint, people wanting to work on the campaign, people wanting to volunteer, you really took off. And what were, obviously that's a great place to be and that's an opportunity, but there must've been real challenges figuring out how to build the organization and the technology to fully take advantage of that moment you guys had. Yeah, very, very much so. And um, you know, I've, I've likened it to being at the front of a rocket ship as it's blasting off. You know, at the beginning of this year, not many people knew who Mayor Pete Buttigieg was, let alone that he would become a, a major candidate for president. And we kind of knew that going in. You know, Pete was somewhat well known with um, reporters and um, some people who follow Democratic politics because he ran for DNC chair. But outside of that, he was still a relatively unknown uh, mayor in Indiana. And our email list was tiny. You know, we had a few volunteers in a very, very small office in downtown South Bend, probably a thousand square feet. We had Wi-Fi hotspots, if you can believe it, to, uh, to get internet. So it was a real shoestring operation at the very beginning. And the other thing is, is we didn't have years or decades of political infrastructure to tap into, supporters to coordinate with, donors to go to, uh, strategists to consult. Uh, we just didn't have any of that. And so um, it was essentially myself, uh, Liz Smith, and a few other people uh, that were really dedicated to this cause and really dedicated to Pete. And we knew that we had good ideas. We knew that we had a special candidate, but we needed to create moments. And so in early January, we launched a True Blue Exploratory Committee some candidates have an exploratory committee, and it's just sort of a rhetorical <laughs> exercise. Ours was a, a real exploratory committee, and we just wanted to, to to literally test the waters and see if there was an appetite for a candidacy like Mayor Pete's, um, and there was. We had that committee. Mayor Pete had a book tour, Shortest Way Home, where he talked about his, his story and serving his hometown, and then we had a March CNN town hall, which really changed things for us from about March 10th until and through our announcement in April, the trajectory of the campaign was just completely different. And we knew that uh, we had some real energy behind us. And so as a campaign manager, um, it was really tough, you know? I mean, I've, I'd managed campaigns before, much smaller scale, but the principles are the same. And all of this attention, money, applications, you know, questions, enthusiasm, energy, all this stuff's just coming at you at once. and what we had to do is we had to build a plan and really build a campaign from zero to 60 very, very quickly. And so I'm curious, what did you learn from that period? Like, do you think that, did that help you if you guys do surge in Iowa in January and you end up being fully alive in March as the campaign goes national? What are the lessons you learned from that period that might help you with some of those scaling moments? I think there's two Two things that come to mind, David, I think number one is just uh, the speed. I think that you're just in a different uh, gear when you're at this level and just everything that's kind of coming at you from all, from all corners and all the things that you need to pay attention to. I think the other thing that I've learned is being calm, honestly, and also bringing together people who can specialize in their areas 
so you don't have to. <laughs> you know, I often joke with people that there's two folks at the top of this campaign who don't have recent presidential campaign experience. Well, that's me and that's Mayor Pete. <laughs> and, but what we've done is we've brought together people who have that experience and who have that specialization. And so we know what we don't know. And so, you know, folks like Liz Smith, uh, Michael Halley, who's our senior strategist, Jess O'Connell, who, who headed up the DNC and Emily's List, Brandon Neal, Hari Savugan, people like that, who can take over big chunks of the campaign, sharing our values, sharing our vision for what we want to do in this effort and in this movement, but to just take over big pieces of it uh, to kind of come together around a strategic core. Right. I'm curious, Liz Smith was there with you from the beginning. Some mm -hmm. of the other, you guys have done a great job of bringing on talent. You mentioned some of the folks who joined the campaign. Yeah. I'm curious, like how much of, of the folks you mentioned and some of the other key leadership in, in the early states were folks you sought out for specific position or did they approach you say, hey, I'm like what I'm seeing from Mayor Pete. You know, do you have yeah. room for me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm often surprised. I think one of the other surprising things for me over the last year has been, you know, if you would have told me without Senate transfers that we would have been the second leading fundraiser in the entire field, I would have been uh, rather surprised. <laughs> and also the the talent in the team that we've built, I also probably wouldn't have been surprised. A lot of people at the beginning, naysayers and stuff were like, you know, you're never going to get the top people to work for, for somebody like Mayor Pete. You're never going to get the top people to work in South Bend, you know, because there's so many strong and well-known candidates running for president, right? But what, what has happened is is those things have all worked out. Um, we've been able to collect the resources and build a professional operation, and we've been able to attract top-level staff around the country. And I'd say the answer to your question is it's been a blend. Some people, uh, our Iowa state director, for example, is a guy named Brendan McPhillips. Brendan has worked for uh, Gillum in Florida, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, both the Obama and Clinton campaigns. He's a very, very uh, strong campaign guy. He was actually my intern 10 years ago uh, as a student at Notre Dame when I worked for Joe Donnelly. And so uh, that's somebody that we found from our, our network that we tapped to lead that state for us. Um, and there's examples of that across the campaign. I think the other thing that I've picked up on, and I'm, I'm sure you've sensed this from other campaign leaders and, and campaign staff across the country and in other camps is there's a big chunk of people who said that they would never work on another campaign again. <laughs> Maybe that's every campaign, but, uh, but we've had a lot of those people approach our campaign because they've been, when you boil it down, they've just been inspired by Pete. They've been inspired by his message, who he is, his story, his vision for the country. And so that has made our recruitment job a little bit easier. And we've been able to build a really, really strong team. So I think I, I think I told you we were about five volunteers in January. We are well over 400 right now. And how many of those 400 are at headquarters versus out in the States? Headquarters is right around 135, 140. And then uh, most are in the States. And so we're probably about 115 to 120 in Iowa right now. So let's talk about Iowa. You mentioned Brendan, your state director. Yeah. Uh, his job, your job, is to do as well in Iowa as you need to to mm -hmm. continue in the race. And so I'm curious. So first of all, we're starting to see what we often see in presidential races, which, and, and I hate quoting polling, but it's it's kind of the, the standard we have now. So right. if you look at the polling averages, you're beginning to see Iowa in particular behave a little bit differently than national. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you guys are doing quite a bit better in Iowa than you are nationally, uh, you know, six or so points better. What do you attribute that to? Well, for, for starters, the mayor's spending a lot of time there, you know, that we are adjusting the dial, so to speak, so so the mayor can spend a lot more quality time meeting Iowans, listening to Iowans, and hearing from them directly, um, so retail uh, politicking. We have been investing in the state for, for a couple of months now, not just our team uh, and staff members, but we've been doing rural radio for quite a long time. We've been doing uh, streaming ads. Uh, and we're up on television. Um, so there's a blend of kind of on the ground uh, grassroots organizing, but also uh, paid media. But I think more deeply, I think that there's different pieces of Pete's profile that um, is attractive to Iowans. I often joke that Pete's kind of a Swiss army knife. He has a few tools uh, for everybody. And 
when it relates to Iowa, they're not our next door neighbors, but they're two doors down and they're Midwesterners. And I think that they really respect that Pete is from the heartland. I think uh, him being a veteran is also a huge asset. I think being a little bit different candidate is an asset of the top four or five people uh, that have kind of collated at the top, as you as you mentioned, he's the only one who's not, you know, uh, full with Washington experience. He is a, a mayor in Indiana. And I think that that can be an asset. And so I think that there's there's profile pieces, there's campaign messaging things that we've done um, that have really resonated uh, with Iowans. So Mike, Iowa's got 99 counties, as you mm-hmm. are probably dreaming about them all in Seven more than Indiana. <laughs> than Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, you know, I think history suggests people who win Iowa, but I think even people who, who don't win, who come, let's say, in the top two or three, who who then have a chance to move on and, and have a credible path. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to do well in pretty much all of them. But are there particular parts of the state where you are focused because you see the opportunity to overperform uh, and really from, from a support and delegate standpoint, overperform or, or right now, is it too early to make those kind of geographic trade-off decisions? It might be a little too early. I mean, I think um, I think most folks would say that about two-thirds of the Democrats are are found uh, in or around Polk County. And so Des Moines is is essential for for any campaign, for any candidate. I think just something that happened very recently, uh, which pops to mind, is our bus tour that we had in eastern Iowa. You know, Dubuque and Waterloo, Davenport, Elkader, places like that. You know, we had the big Pete 2020 uh, blue and gold bus uh, make the rounds. And the crowds that came out for that was just astounding. I mean, middle of the day, 800 people, 1,000 people. Um, and the common refrain was, we haven't seen this since 2007. We haven't seen this since 2008, you know. And so I think that Eastern Iowa is very, very similar to uh, our hometown of South Bend you know, kind of post-manufacturing um, communities, figuring it out, folks who care about economic issues, healthcare, things like that. Um, so I feel like we can do pretty well in that area, but we're going to go everywhere. And I think that another thing that we've realized over the last few weeks is that in order to be uh, successful in the caucuses and to overperform, you need to bring new people to the process. And I think that uh, for for some of the reasons that I I mentioned, Pete's profile and, and and our message and what we're talking about, uh, we can attract new people to the process, and that's a big big part of our strategy as well. So obviously, you're tracking carefully the folks who are attending your events or expressing interest. You know, what percentage of them are folks who do not have prior caucus history in Iowa? Yeah, I think that um, there's a there's a pretty good number. the The X factor there is is turnout's kind of an unknown, you know? Where do you think it's going to land? What are you guys modeling? Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you. We do less modeling than we do what we call relational organizing, which, mm-hmm. I, can, which I can delve into. If you just built models on, on who turned out in previous elections or previous caucuses, you'd be limited to a very specific number of people. And we're not in a binary environment. There's not two people running for for the nomination. Uh, there's not five people running for the nomination. <laughs> there's a big, big number of people running. And so I think that that influences people in a few different ways, maybe how they pay attention to the race, maybe how they bucket support and preference and how they say, this is my, these are my top three people. These are people I'm sort of okay on. And then here are people that I'll never vote for, you know? And I think for us, what we want to do is we want to start with relational organizing, so who people know, friends, family, people you go to church with, people you're in sports leagues with, retirement communities, things like that, to help our supporters kind of chart their own networks. Um, But then over time, fuse that with traditional things that that we've used on campaigns before, voter file and and things like that, uh, to create the people that we want to turn out. Because I use the analogy of of a, a birthday party or organizing an event. You know, if you were to have a birthday party for, for a child or a friend, would you phone bank all your friends, you know, over a one hour block? You probably wouldn't. You would have specific ways that you know would be the best to reach out to those people. So you'd text some, you'd Facebook message some, uh, you'd email some, you'd stop by somebody's house, you'd remind yourself, oh, I'll see them at church this week. I'll, I'll go up and talk to them and invite them, you know? And so what we want to try to do is, is personalize 
those first touches because it's it's not cold, you know? You, you trust people who come to you uh, and tell you about a person or a candidate. And so we wanna lead with that first and then build our overall program from there. So just quick question though, yeah. based on what you're seeing in terms of your relational organizing, you mentioned how many candidates are running. Do you guys expect that the turnout's gonna exceed like the 240,000 we saw in 08? Do you think it could fall under that? What, what are you guys planning for? You know, I think we're planning for a few different scenarios and I think it just remains to be seen. You know, back in um, 2008, it was, you know, obviously you were there, so much energy, so much enthusiasm, so much excitement. And now it's, I don't know if, if there's so much excitement, but there's just, there's also a lot of anxiety <laughs> in the electorate. I think people see what's coming out of Washington literally every every hour and it's just fatiguing and tiring and exhausting. And I guess, you know, how are people going to sort of feel that way as we get into the new year and into the into caucus season? Just sort of fatigued, ho-hum, you know, can I really do anything about this? Or, which I hope will be the case, is they feel like, you know, this isn't right in our country and we need to change things and we need to do something about it. And a lot of people come out, you know, uh, from our party, maybe moderates, other people uh, to caucus for their candidates. Right. So you're currently, you know, if the polls are at all accurate, mm -hmm. you obviously have your own sense of things with your own data, which you won't share, of course. But <laughs> let's say you are at 11%, 12% in Iowa. You know, I think it's fair to assume that to have a, a real shot at the nomination, not to get a pat on the back for a job well done, but to have a chance uh, about squaring up a Trump. I think folks need to finish in the top three. I think that's probably true for you guys. But A, I want you to talk about that a little bit. What, what do you guys need coming out of Iowa? And then secondly, if you're going to, you know, finish in the top three, let's say, you're going to have to go from where you all t are today, 11 or 12 percent, you know, into the 20s, let's say. And so where do you guys see that support coming from? Is that mostly, you know, folks who are undecided? Do you need some of the current candidates to have their support levels drop? Kind of how do you guys view that? Yeah. Well, there's no question that there's a lot of oxygen in the race that's kind of sucked up just because there's so many candidates. And, and let's not forget, I mean, Joe Biden is two-term vice president who served under President Obama. Bernie Sanders is the runner-up from the last presidential nominating cycle. And Elizabeth Warren is a very well-known progressive um, senator from Massachusetts. And so just right out of the gate, there is a lot of firepower there, you know? And then as you get through the numbers, then there's a chunk of people that are supporting uh, other candidates, right? Uh, the Cory Bookers of the world, Beto O'Rourke, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, um, candidates like that. And so there's there's probably another 25% of Iowans that are right now linked up with those candidates. And so there's just a lot of oxygen that's sucked up. And so I think that's why it's been hard for, um, for campaigns to uh, for some campaigns to get traction and to continue and to build and just show a big a big share of the vote. I think um, you mentioned the polls. I think it's safe to say from from public polling that um, and, and elsewhere that we're essentially fourth place in Iowa and we're essentially fourth place in New Hampshire. Um, so the first two states right out of the gate. And I feel really good about where we are. I think that you know if history is any indicator, being up now is not necessarily an advantage. Uh, you know, if it was, then Secretary Clinton would have won in 08 and Rick Santorum would have won and Ted Cruz um, would have run uh, in 16, right? Um, ultimately, they were the ones who were, who were there. And so um, I feel good about where we are. And I think that we have um, another X factor to me is enthusiasm. I think that when you're on the ground and you see the campaigns interacting in these events, and the recent one was was the big steak fry, that our supporters and our team members and people who are watching our campaign, there's an enthusiasm there and an excitement there because of Pete and who he is and what he represents. And so kind of holding steady where we are, but then building through organizing and our message and other things over time to catch that momentum uh, when we want to. Right. So you mentioned you've got kind of a top three, right? Biden, Warren, Sanders. You guys are kind of knocking on their door in Iowa, New Hampshire. So 
you know, as you guys think about how you might maneuver past one or two of them, how concerned, because you mentioned some of the other candidates in the race, how concerned are you guys that somebody who's not in the top three, you know, whether it's Beto or Kamala or Klobuchar or Booker, that somebody like that kind of gets their moment? And just as you guys are kind of in that fourth position, maybe poised to, to leapfrog somebody, somebody else gets hot. I mean, I know that you can't control that, but as you guys work through all the sort of permutations here, is that a big factor that you're concerned about? Um, somewhat. I mean, in politics, you never know what can happen in a given week, right? And I think that you've seen some candidates in some campaigns try to manufacture and create ways to leapfrog or to get ahead, right? And for the most part, I don't know if if a lot of those tactics have worked. I think that most people would agree that that Elizabeth Warren has has um, had a great summer and a great few months, and she's built a strong operation, um, not only in the early states but across the country. But I think we have too, and I think other campaigns have as well. And so, you know, when I look to the caucuses and then beyond, I think there are some campaigns that. Well, there are some campaigns, I guess there's three types of campaigns. One, there might be a campaign that doesn't make it there, right? And we've seen some folks drop out. Two is there will be campaigns that are all in on the caucuses and that's their strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Doing well in Iowa. And then there are campaigns, and I would say that we're included in this bunch, that doing well in Iowa, but continuing throughout this process. Um, and, And the risk I think that you put in a, in an all Iowa strategy without a lot afterward is you haven't put the infrastructure in place. And I think that that we are able, because of our resources and our organization and, and our team, we have that infrastructure. And I think other campaigns do too, to plow through Iowa and then to continue into the rest of February and into March. So I want to spend some time on March and, and building the infrastructure. I want to talk about one more early state, South Carolina which is the gateway to the rest of the country. And I think has always been extraordinarily important and and will be again. So two questions about South Carolina. One, has the situation, um, an issue with the South Bend Police Department caused you guys difficulty in building support in the African-American community in South Carolina? And secondly, as you think about growing your African-American support, is that reliant on Joe Biden underperforming in Iowa, New Hampshire, so that more of his African-American support is available, whether that's to you or Warren. How do you guys think about those two questions? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, to your first one, that was a really, really unfortunate situation in our community around an issue that um, is really visceral and real for a lot of people. And I think um, it shows you the job, the the type of job that Mayor Pete has. Mayors often deal with intractable problems. And and homelessness and poverty and race and policing, housing, really thorny issues like that that disproportionately impact communities of color uh, is very, very real. And so that's something that we haven't we haven't shied away from. I think to, to sort of couple the the questions together, I think, you know, we're we're relatively new to the scene, as I mentioned, our, our growth from January to now. And so we are up against some very, very well known names in the party, um, namely Joe Biden, who, you know, is, um, is I think really revered by African-American voters through his service with Barack Obama and have had careers for, for a very, very long time. I think that a few things that we've done, I think will help us expand as we move forward. I think that we've hired a team that is, is diverse. I think 40% of our overall campaign is people of color. We uh, have deployed robust policy uh, the Douglas Plan for Black America, which a lot of folks say is 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 the strongest plan um, to rebuild uh, Black America, almost as ambitious as the Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe. We've built a constituency outreach team, and it's dedicating Pete's time to communities, uh, leaders, and outlets of color. And so it'll be it'll be not just not just quality time, but quantity time in those communities. And I think how you kind of distill this is if there's fewer people in the race, then there's fewer choices. And we feel like we can do well in those communities by getting him in front of those, those folks more. Here in South Bend, even, uh, a majority of African-American residents uh, support Pete uh, for president, which is, uh, 
which is kind of a cool statistic. And so I think it's just spending more time in there, getting our organizing program going, and giving people the option to learn about him, hear him, see him, meet him, et cetera. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So let's say that you've done what you need to do in the first four states and Mayor Pete is granted the permission slip to continue in the race. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, That means the March contest for you guys are going to be critical. So I'm curious, you know, most of the country votes in March, most of the delegates are um, allocated in March. So A, do you currently have staff in those states? And and from a a management and budget standpoint, you're going to throw everything you can, obviously, into the first four. But Mm -hmm. are you already planning to preserve resources for advertising and vote-by-mail programs uh, in all those March states? Yeah, we have a... um, The way we've structured it right now is we have uh, our early states program. And included in early states is California. We put California as an early state, votes uh, by mail, and I think a third of California will have voted by the time South Carolina also votes. And so uh, California is critical, I think, to anybody just because it has such a huge share of delegates. So we will focus resources there. We have a um, terrific uh, state director who was um, Secretary Clinton's state director in 16, and so she'll lead the charge there for us. And so our Marathon States program focuses on this. That's the other one. We have early states and Marathon. So Marathon does basically Super Tuesday and beyond. And we've built right now a regional structure through our organizing teams to staff up in those places. And so we will be deploying more resources there, hiring more people there, and developing a deeper strategy as we move forward. But for us... It's really California is, I think, the the crown jewel, and then expanding from there into some of these other primaries. And do you think, for folks who may not understandably be obsessed with delegates or yeah. kind of didn't follow it as closely in 8 or 16, just a, a reminder that, you know, when there's a close election, you know, one candidate's getting four to the other 35, there's not much difference in delegate yield. You really get delegate yields when you're winning by margin. So. Right. Are there certain states you guys are looking at or because you think you can bring new people into the process, do caucuses, are they more interesting to you? Are there places where you think maybe you could overperform um, and uh, help your delegate yield? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, you know, I think that whoever is the nominee and whoever um, emerges from our party as our standard bearer, I think, needs to bring together three kind of buckets of voters. And to me, that is, it's the middle class kind of blue collar, blue wall voter, right? The elusive sort of blue collar Midwesterner (laughs) that the press seems to be really interested in all the time. I think it's also the rising American electorate. So it's people of color, um, it is young voters, and it's also single women. And then the third bucket is moderates, independents, suburban voters and Republicans who are probably looking for a home. And I think that if I look at those states, I feel like we can pull together threads of those those buckets um, in addition to traditional Democratic kind of base vote. And so, you know, California has so many different markets and styles and, and, and places that we can play, especially with the congressional district um, set up. I think there's a lot of states that are also off the beaten path for Democrats. And I think Pete also kind of speaks that language. Being a Democrat from Indiana, you know, we've visited Tennessee, we've visited Missouri, um, he's visited a lot of other places. And that message really resonates strongly about having a president from quote unquote flyover country. So I think that we can do well in some of those those rural places. I think in in places like Virginia, Texas, North Carolina, Um, We can do well in more urban or suburban areas. 
um, highly educated voters, people who pay attention to uh, to politics and and policies. And depending on how big the the field is, I think we can do well there. Right. So I do think the great winnowing will be mm-hmm. upon us soon enough. So <laughs> I'd be surprised if we don't see some more people get out before Iowa, seeing the writing on the wall. Some people get out after Iowa, after New Hampshire, after South Carolina. Yeah. Then we head into, you know, really uh, just an unbelievable avalanche of states in March. So in a scenario where you guys have done what you need to in March 3rd, which California is the big state, but you also have North Carolina, yeah. Texas, you know, the, the next Tuesday on the 10th, you've got Michigan and, and Washington. And then the 17th, you know, you have Arizona, Florida, Illinois, Ohio. So, you know, my suspicion is, you know, at most we'll be down to three, you know, more likely two at that point. So if Mayor Pete is in the conversation, then it means he survived all that. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and but do you guys have a sense yet? And, and again, you don't control these chess pieces. But in that scenario where where the field has been winnowed. Do you think a three-person race where you've got three candidates of some strength still in it uh, is better to your liking? Or do you imagine that would be a two-person race because you think you have more growth potential potentially in that scenario? I think we would have some growth potential, some strong potential. I mean, if I look at that, if I look at the um, states that are up March 10th, it is the Midwest, you know, and it is those voters that I just cited a little bit ago and it is it's where we live uh, it's where our campaign is headquartered it's where pete is uh is the mayor um it's where he's he's built his political brand and his political career and so i think we we sort of speak that language you know michigan missouri ohio illinois you know those would be places that we could campaign in uh, very easily very quickly logistically as well um, because they're all right in our neck of the woods and so I think that our message, if we sort of got through that far, depending on who the other opponents would be, um, I think that our message would resonate very, very strongly with those voters. And would you guys, if it is a two-person race, would you prefer that the other person uh, on the stage with you is one of the top three because they give you more of a generational contrast as opposed to maybe one of the other candidates you know, who are currently behind you guys in the early states but kind of would be seen as a, as a fresher face? Yeah, I think I think we're prepared for for whatever comes our way. I mean, that's a long way away, and I think that um, campaigns are are marathons, not sprints. I mean, they they will speed up, and and gosh, you know, February, March, April, that that whole expanse is going to move very, very quickly. But I think that we have, I think we have strategies we can deploy. I think there's different pieces of Pete's profile that we can deploy. And I think whoever we're, we're up against, I think that we have, we have something that we can promote. I mean, um, there's, there's a generational angle to Pete's candidacy, of course, because he's, he's 37 years old. There's also the fact that he's the only veteran in at least right now, the, the top few, few candidates. I think, um, a lot of people talk about the experience stuff and, and all of that, but I think that, um, you know, since World War II, our party has nominated three vice presidents and not a single one has won, you know? And I think that um, the folks that our party selects are oftentimes inspiring or next generation type figures. JFK, Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, um, three out of four of those were, you know, not coastal candidates. And so I think there's that element to it as well. Um and one thing that we haven't touched on yet, David, is um, is uh, sort of how Pete, I think, conducts himself and how he talks about his faith. I think that there's a deep yearning out there for people just to get away from all the politics of of fighting and tearing each other down and, and yelling at each other and getting back to civility and decency and treating each other with respect and and, and that kind of approach to politics. And I think that and that's just who Pete is, and he's not going to be somebody that he's not. And so, and so that will carry us, I think, deep into this contest as well. Well, it sounds like your uh, your observation about vice presidents not uh, doing so well in the general election and fresh faces in the Midwest 
prevailing, might uh, we might see that uh, on a might. debate stage or we'll Iowa town hall soon. We'll so see. let's talk about something that is not far away, which is we have another debate next week. Mm-hmm. Um, Twelve candidates on the stage, if if I'm correct about that. Yep. And you know your strategy will be apparent next week. So I, I don't want to ask you about the strategy, but I think folks might be interested in just. You're running around Iowa and South Carolina and New Hampshire and Nevada. You're raising money. You're hiring staff. Like, how do you guys manage debate prep in the middle of the rest of the campaign? <laughs> it is a uh, logistical exercise. I mean, we have a great principal operations team. We have a great advanced team, um, and they they set us up wherever we need to do it. And so, um, I joke with some of the folks who who work with us on prep and and Liz essentially leads prep and gets uh, gets the mayor ready with with a few other team members. Uh, but we, we kind of joke that where's the next uh, nondescript hotel conference room? Where will I see you next, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and where will we be traveling? And so we essentially um, just find pockets in the mayor's calendar and the mayor's schedule and bake in enough time well in advance. So wherever he is on the road, whatever he's doing, we have that space uh, available, and we do uh, a mixture of things. You know, we we sometimes have podiums set up there um, for sparring, and sometimes we have uh, one or two up there for him to to go through different things. And we just prepare a lot of a lot of information for him. Um, you know, Mayor Pete likes to likes to read and absorb um, a lot of that information and get a sense, I think, of what other candidates. Uh, are up to what they're talking about on the trail and and kind of go from there. These these debates have been, I would say, generally good um, for our party, but they've been busy. You know, there's there's a lot of candidates up there. And what you don't see on TV, which is pretty humorous, is the moderators will ask a question to somebody and almost instantly for every question, every other hand goes up <laughs> when it's asked. And so sometimes people say, oh, this, this person didn't get enough time or that person didn't get enough time. And everybody's got their hands up for almost the entire debate. And so um, it's pretty funny. But we feel good. I mean, Pete's comfortable in, in who he is and, and his message and, and quick on his feet. And, uh, and he's been able to put in... Uh, I'd say three workmanlike performances, and we'll just continue to do that. Yeah, well, you know, in spring training in baseball, there's a lot of people invited to camp who ultimately end up, you know, not on the major league team. So soon right. enough, we'll we'll get the number down to a manageable number. Right. I'm curious. I mean, I think this has been an incredibly gentle race so far, um, yeah. and I think folks um, should understand that. You know, at least from my view. Really, once once we get into early November, the Jefferson Jackson dinner in Iowa, which is a really important moment in Iowa, really between then and that, I think that is a new phase. And so I would expect that that the campaign may uh, change a little bit in terms of contrast. Do you expect there to be more elbows thrown and, and more comparisons made? By the way, that doesn't bother me because whoever wins is facing off against Donald Trump. Right. And they're going to have to show that they can take everything he's got and more. But right. but you, would you expect, and how challenging is that? Because as you mentioned, you know, Mayor Pete in, in some respects wants to be above sort of the normal political, you know, attacks and back and forth. But mm-hmm. but there are big differences, particularly on health care in this, in this race. Yeah. And I think that we, you know, our campaign, I think other campaigns will try to find ways to to disagree and draw those contrasts and to have... A little sharper elbows and to have a little bit more edge to the message, perhaps. But I think for somebody like us, I think I think we can do I can, we can be disagree. I think we can disagree without being disagreeable, you know. And I think that we need to find those places and really dig in. I think you're right about the tenor of the race, and it's been generally pretty pretty respectful. I think there's been a couple instances where people tried to poke at at uh, Vice President Biden, and it really didn't do much. You know, now we're getting into the stages where there's fewer stages left and some folks aren't even making the stages, but they're still in the race. You know, what types of things will they try to do to remain in the contests and to uh, to earn more support? Or is it too late? You know, I think that um, one of the advantages, one of the benefits we've had of getting in in January to where we are now, you know, in October is we got in early and it allowed us the time to create moments, have a plan, uh, raise money, get Pete around the country to do media, hire staff, um, all of that. And for people that got in in the spring or later, it's been a real challenge, you know? 
um, to kind of get in there and make those connections, get support and grow your campaign. So I think it remains to be seen. My expectation is that sharper contrasts are drawn just because it is it is politics and there's so much at stake. And I do think healthcare is probably a battlefield for that. I think that you know, we have espoused Medicare for all who want it, which is our our plan, which is um, a, essentially a public option um, that would be Medicare-like, but it doesn't take away healthcare from people that they have right now and put them on something that's that's unknown. I think that Mayor Pete's Pete's path is responsible, and I think if we've learned anything from from healthcare policy over the years, I mean, it's really hard and it's really personal and. You look at uh, the ACA that, that that barely got through the House back in uh, Obama's first term, uh, and just how how hard that was, right? And I think to go from where we are now to to a massive program is really really difficult. And so I think that we owe it to the American people as a party to talk through how we would go about doing all that. So there's been some interesting moments on debate stages. We'll probably have more next week where the candidates who have different positions on on healthcare have tangled right. in interviews. What I haven't seen so far is it showing up in a lot of advertising in the early states or folks driving it at their town halls in these states. Would you expect healthcare does become kind of the the tip of the spear in terms of, of the, the place where there's the biggest contrast and, and people are trying to get advantage on that issue? I think so. I think it's issue number one for our party. And, you know, there are other... There are other areas where there's just, I think, large agreement with the American people and just sort of middle of the road folks on on guns, climate, um, jobs and wages and healthcare. And I think that our party is now, it's, you know, sort of being bold and being progressive is, I guess it just has a different connotation nowadays, you know, because I think the vast majority of American people believe in those things that I just cited. And so I think... I think uh, the members of our party and the candidates agree with all that stuff, but I do think that's probably the biggest issue of differentiation is healthcare. And it's it's the most personal. It's also the issue that you hear about the most on the trail. I would say it's, um, it's healthcare stories and coverage and the affordability of, of healthcare, the affordability of prescription drugs. I think also uh, longer term care is something that's really, really big out there and we're going to be coming up with a, out with a plan on that front too um, really targeted in the first couple of states and so I do think it'll be a place where where the candidates start to to show differentiation well I as someone who has a, a deep interest in seeing a new president elected I mean I think it's important because whoever gets nominated is going to have to win the health care debate with Donald Trump this is not just a, a question of our primary. I think it's right. going to be a central issue in general. Absolutely. Uh, so, Mike, wh- one last question for you. Sure. You've been great to spend so much time with us. So, I think folks sometimes, you know, maybe because they've watched too many West Wing episodes, think, uh, you know, a presidential campaign manager, it's all, you know, big decisions and and strategery and uh, and not uh, not the grunt work. I- I'm just curious, like uh, for our listeners, a couple of the the great examples for you in this race where you know something's crossed your desk and you're like, I can't believe I'm running a presidential campaign and I've got to deal with this. <laughs> oh boy. Wow. That's, that's almost every day. Um, <laughs> some people on my team always joke the number of things that I have to maybe say no to in a day, you know, <laughs> big and small, I imagine. Somebody's got a great idea for something and it's like, really? Oh, okay. I'll say, I'll say one thing that, uh, I hope the team's okay with me, me hinting at something that we're going to do for the the JJ and it's it's the LJ this year, the Liberty and Justice Dinner uh, at Wells Fargo in Des Moines. But word on the street is we are we are getting close to either a food truck or an ice cream truck that is Mayor Pete themed. So that's something that came across my desk recently that made me chuckle. Yeah, that sounds like that's going to be a hit. Serving uh, up Mayor Pete. Yeah, I didn't know. Go. So I didn't know they had changed the name of the dinner. So it's the Liberty and Justice Dinner. It's right? the Liberty and Justice Dinner. Yeah, at Wells yeah. Fargo on November first. Yep. Well, I have some bias here, but I'd like to see these dinners turn into the Obama Kennedy dinners. Maybe they will. Uh, <laughs> maybe they will at some point. Well, Mike Schmuel, thank you for your time and and really sharing your view of of Mayor Pete's pathway uh, to the nomination in this campaign and, and the operation you're building and. Uh, Best of luck in the coming weeks. Thank you, David. 
I thought that was a really fascinating conversation with Mike Schmuel from Mayor Pete's campaign. A few things stood out. Well, first of all, I thought it was interesting for him to talk about, you know, some of the challenges uh, they dealt with in, in capturing all the momentum they had uh, back in the spring. You obviously love those opportunities, but inside a campaign, super challenging to maximize that. Secondly, it, it's clear that Mayor Pete is going to intend to draw, I think, a stronger health care contrast with some of his opponents. And so I'd imagine we'll see uh, that intensify starting next week. So I think that'll be fascinating. Um, you know, clearly they are, are betting a lot on Iowa, like what they're seeing there, like what they're seeing in their crowds, uh, but also equally feel like they're making uh, progress in New Hampshire. It was interesting, I think, to hear from Mike about how they assess the movement they're seeing there. And then, you know, because Mayor Pete has raised a lot of money and clearly does have a lot of strong enthusiasm, it's not surprising, I guess, but they clearly are not um, just an early states campaign. So while, you know, they clearly are banking a lot on the early states, you know, they're beginning to put together plans for California, some of the March states. Um, it was really interesting to hear Mike talk about their belief that some of those March states where you've got, you know, big Midwestern states, uh, Michigan, Ohio, Illinois, uh, they think they could overperform. And so uh, it was really interesting to hear him talk about that. And of course, they need to be alive then uh, to maximize that if, in fact, they, they could capitalize. But um, they clearly um, have one eye on the early states and, and another eye on uh, March and April. And in the beginning of the campaign, you would have thought Mayor Pete was probably going to be just a one-state candidate, you know, throw all his eggs in the Iowa basket and maybe he'll catch lightning. But, you know, because they've been able to raise so much money and, and create such intense volunteer networks, you know, they do have the ability, I think, to think a little bit deeper into the calendar. So, so that was interesting. Um, Mike, I think like a lot of the guests we've heard from, is polite about the debates, but is, is clearly eager for... Uh, the stage to shrink a little bit, which I agree with. Um, we'll get there eventually. These debates seem to be, for the most part, things candidates are enduring uh, rather than really enjoying. So we'll see when that changes. But, uh, you know, the great winnowing will be upon us soon enough, and, and we'll get down to a manageable number. So thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, we've got something, I think, really interesting on tap for next week. We'll share that ahead of next Thursday, so you've got plenty of time to download and subscribe. And thanks for tuning in.